Well, hey, as we're trekking through this uh, sermon series here called Moved by Grace, we're kind of following along uh, in a book as well we've been talking a lot about called The Cure. And we are in uh, chapter five today, which is entitled Two Healings. And it's become very clear to me that in order for us to fully transition to and kind of stay on this trusting God path we've been talking about, there has to be some healing that takes place in our souls. So in addition to understanding that a new path is necessary, um, we have to deal with the why questions. Like, why do we tend to live with a mask on or are tempted to do that? Okay, why do we feel like we have to earn God's approval? Why do we struggle with judging others? Why are we prone to linger in guilt or shame? Or why does pride keep us from engaging in vulnerable and healthy and honest relationships? So we can't fully move to a new paradigm, okay, a new way of thinking until we gain an appropriate level of understanding kind of like why we're stuck in an unhealthy thought pattern about ourselves or about God or about others in the first place. And let's not forget in this whole discussion and really with any discussion in our Christian life is that behind the scenes, there's an enemy, right? Satan, Bible says that his role is to steal, kill, and destroy every part of our lives. So our, our identity, um, you know, who God says we are, our self-worth, our ability to give and receive love, Satan wants to mess and is messing with all of that. And that can get a little bit overwhelming, it can feel like, man, just this uphill battle that we don't know if we're ever going to get any traction on. And if you're like me, I think a lot of people struggle with just kind of finding some hope. You know, is there hope that kind of a new path can emerge in my life that I could actually, you know, not just see and understand, yes, I want to operate like that, but we can actually stay in that lane for a while. And so, as as hard as that is to, to be hopeful, the Bible, the message of the cross, why we're here is all about hope. So we're going to begin with reminding ourselves uh, about some truths. So I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 today. It's page 1027. And I love how, you know, God weaves things together Right, because I'm sitting here listening to Kelsey this morning and, and the, the section that she chose to focus on, and it's all about Jesus, right, preparing them, she says, for the better next on the other side of the crucifixion and the burial that, that they can't even see and understand yet. He's pointing them to the hope to come. Right, And that's so much of what we are doing on our journey. When I sit down and I talk about difficult things with people to kind of wrap their minds around or changes that need to be made to fully live into the gospel, the good stuff, I have to try to always, I'm always trying to point people to the hope that's on the other side of the hard work that has to happen. So let's look at Romans 5, starting in verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified, that means made right through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, remember, we started this series with, with a, a reminder of who we are apart from Christ, right? So we, we were born enemies of God. So somebody had to make peace between us and the Father. Okay, so Jesus has done that through the cross. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we, have also, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So just from those five verses there this morning, um, if you could just kind of keep your eyes on it, what stood out to you is just kind of like a, a hopeful reminder for you on this journey of trying to learn this new way of living. What was good news to you from that passage? That's my water falling on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, by the way, gosh, I forgot. Man. Um, for audience participation today, I, I wanted to spice things up. So if you raise your hand today and give an answer, I'm going to be giving you a free roll of toilet paper after church. <laughs> So, I don't know, incentive, I mean, John's going to be loaded for bear here, so, all right, man. Uh, I think verse 3, uh, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and the character of Yeah. So, I think it's really, it's easy to focus on our, on our sufferings and ask the why questions, like why, 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 and instead of thinking more like, Good. Yeah. And we did a sermon series on Romans a few years ago, and we talked about um, the fact that suffering can produce those things if we lean into what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, right? Suffering doesn't just automatically produce those things, right? Because plenty of people suffer and don't end up with perseverance and hope and character on the other side of it, right? It only happens if we lean in and to choose to cooperate with the things that God's trying to do in us. So that's a great point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Toilet paper people, I'm telling you. There you go, Phil. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So God just has a process in place. He knows what he's doing as he's changing and transforming us. Good. What else gives you hope? Yes, Aubrey. Good stuff, man. Thank you. Yeah, that hope doesn't put us to shame. You know, sin takes us to shame a lot, but hope doesn't, right? That's good stuff. So I just wanted to kind of give you guys that, a little bit of background, a real reminder, right, that there is hope. Some of you guys, maybe as we've dove into this series and you just know, like most of us do, man, we're just so used to being on that pleasing God path and it just seems so hard to stay over here in this new way. And it's like, we got to remember that God's with us and that we have hope that it's going to get better. So, so we are all trying to live into this new way of grace, and we're trying to learn what it looks like to live our lives, not focus so much on controlling our sin patterns, right, and more on connecting with God's love for us. 
less on striving to become who we think we should be and more on maturing into who we already are, who God says that we are and sees that we are, right? That we are righteous, that we are holy, that we are saints. And as we are all coming to find out, it's not an easy path to stay on, and there's all kinds of, of potential traps and pitfalls along the way. So many of those obstacles to living in the new way of trusting God center around what we now call, very common language for us, our triggers, right? And triggers, and I just came, this is my own definition, okay? So triggers, I thought of, are like actions, events, words that elicit some kind of emotional response to us, in us and take us back to places that we're trying to move away from, okay? As most of us know, a lot of the triggers that we experience uh, in life uh, kind of center around or have their origin in, in our family of origin, okay? A lot of us honestly came from families with flawed parents, right? Just like I'm flawed for my kids and they're going to, you know, I always, don't you always worry like when they go to Young Life Camp, what are they going to say, you know, in their cabin time when they're talking to their friends, you know? Oh, scary. But <laughs> a lot of us grew up with, with parents who just, you know, maybe because of their own parents and the way they raised them, but, you know, a lot of us grew up with either absent parents or distracted parents or just reckless parents, verbally, physically abusive parents, critical and demanding parents. Whatever the situation and however that looked for you, the result of those broken patterns was for us, a warped understanding of love, okay? And as a result, many of us developed kind of self-protective habits to cope with that pain. And we drag those unhealthy ways of operating into our relationship with Christ. And our wounds cause us to act in all kinds of sinful ways. And I've shared with you guys before that, that kind of my primary obstacle to overcome from, from my parenting, my, my parents growing up, um, was uh, a dad who was just emotionally kind of disconnected and, and also just kind of physically not real present in my life. So my parents got divorced when I was three. For the next about 10 years, uh, I went over to his house every other weekend. Um, he lived far enough away that like a midweek visit wasn't really possible. So I got to see him like four times a month. Um, and so when I went over there, man, I had all these hopes that like we were going to connect, you know, and, and do all the things that any kid would want to be able to do with their dad. But the problem was is that he had four kids um, from his wife's previous marriage, and then they had a couple kids together. So I was one of five, and I was an only child. <laughs> So um, I was used to getting some attention or, you know, thinking that that was going to happen. But then you go and you're one of five kids and you're like, you know, yeah, it just didn't happen very often. So without my father's affirmation, I went looking for validation from my peers. And so when I was going to school, um, I had this sense that I had to be the best at everything. And sports was kind of my ticket to acceptance um, from, from kids. Um, so my already competitive nature kind of went on hyperdrive um, when I went to school, okay? And the playgrounds and the ball fields on the weekends were my place of feeling loved as long as I was winning. 
and being successful. So one unhealthy pattern that emerged was that I began seeing other kids as objects. So kids on the playground or on my teams, uh, youth teams as a kid, they were either kids that were helping me win and get what I felt like I needed, which was the affirmation and acceptance that came with that, or they weren't. And what it did was it, I mean, I was already an only child, so I had some self-centered issues. But then when I, I'm looking at people as objects, it just kind of fed into that self-centeredness. It was really just all about me. And either you were helping me get what I felt like I needed to get to feel okay, or you weren't. Okay? Whatever the cost. <laughs> and so a trigger for me at recess might have been a kid that didn't really care about winning. And like didn't run very hard after the ball that was kicked to the outfield, you know, when the winning runs like on the base pass, like that was a trigger for me and I would freak out, right? And so I, if I was in left field, I would run to right field to catch that fly ball because I wasn't going to let some other kid determine whether we won that day or not because I needed to win, okay? And so when you've lived a life performing to feel loved and you've basically used people to be affirmed, that's a really rough package of baggage to bring into your Christian life, okay? And initially, I felt like I had to earn God's love through doing all the right Christian stuff, and we've kind of talked about that. Dave, are you making some smart comment over there? Dave, Dave likes to laugh, thinking about Bob as a, as a kid. If you've ever seen the Bad News Bears, I'm basically Tanner Boyle. I'm the shortstop that throws his glove and cusses at people. That's, so if you want to know what I was like, just watch the movie. Um, so I had a hard time um, feeling like that I had to earn God's love, right, through doing the right things. So the idea of grace, of unconditional love for me was a really difficult thing to kind of embrace. Um, to begin to actually love people. Instead of just seeing them as, as, as objects, as somebody to help me get what I needed. That was a really hard transition for me. And it's taken me, honestly, decades, decades to begin to understand what it means to, like, carry somebody else's burden. But for one thing, I was an only child. I didn't have to worry about anybody else but myself. And so now to enter into community where you actually really care about other people <laughs> and you're not just using them, enough that where you really want to know what's going on and you're willing to kind of help own some of their problems and take them on for yourself, that was a hard, hard thing for me to learn. To connect emotionally when I, I didn't really have parents that really spoke on emotional levels. So to begin to try to connect in that way, very tough thing for me to do. To speak words of affirmation to my own children, my wife, um, you know, my friends in, in Christian faith, when that language coming out of my mouth felt really awkward, that's difficult. Difficult things to do, some things that I really had to, to work on to overcome. And it's been a, a long journey of transformation and healing for me. <laughs> but I feel like today I'm much more equipped um, to stay on this trusting God path than I was, but a lot of it's because I've, I've worked hard at trying to learn um, what are those wounds that I had, what are the triggers that I have, you know, what are some lies that I believe in, and try to go about it in a different way, and also just a fair amount of repenting as well, okay? And I want to talk about repentance for a moment, because at the beginning of this chapter in the book, The Cure, the author has a quote that I found really interesting when I read through it. So this is what it says. 
What if repentance wasn't a promise from you to God, but a gift from God to you? That's really different than the way I've heard about repentance most of my Christian life. So basically the way I've heard repentance explained to me for 30 years of being a Christian um, is this idea and this visual of, okay, so I'm walking one way, right? Kind of away from God, um, doing the wrong thing, whatever that is. And then I get to some point where I feel guilty or things fall apart or whatever the reason for turning is. And so the repent was always told me that I turn around I do a 180 and I start going in the other direction towards God doing the right thing. How many of you heard a definition or illustration of repentance that was basically that? Okay. Yes. So it sounds easy in theory, right? But I mean, come on, like life experience tells us that that doesn't work. (laughs) It's not easy at all, especially when it's rooted in self-effort. That's why in the rearview mirror of our lives, it's cluttered with the burning piles of failed diets and failed Bible reading plans, failed attempts to stop spending or overworking or stop looking at pornography or stop being critical or angry or jealous or greedy. Guys, true and lasting change is rarely ignited in a single decision to just stop doing the wrong thing. Let me say that again. True and lasting change is rarely ignited in a single decision to stop doing the wrong thing. So maybe we need a better definition of understanding what repentance truly entails. Okay? So in the New Testament, which was written originally in Greek, okay, the word repentance, the Greek word was metanoia. Okay, metanoia means a transformative change of the heart. So to repent is to take on a new belief system, not just a behavior change. Okay, it's not a decision necessarily made in our head, but one that's made at the soul level, the will. Okay, the Bible is very clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, we are all, um, every one of us needs repentance. We're all equally broken in God's eyes. And in order to truly have a transformative heart change, we have to wrestle with the why. Okay, we have to move beyond awareness. Okay, so maybe during this sermon series and the Mind of Christ series and stuff, you become aware of some things that are broken thought patterns in your life. And in order to begin really living in a new way, you have to wrestle not just with the, I'm aware of that. You have to wrestle with the why. (laughs) Why do I do those things? Where did that thought process come from? We have to dig in um, a little bit deeper on this. So there have to be deeper questions asked to get back to the wounds that have elicited the unhealthy behaviors in our life to begin with, okay? And honestly, guys, this is where most Christians begin to look for the shortcuts and the quick fixes. And when I say that, um, I want you to tell me why that's true. 
uh, what you've experienced in your own life and what you wrestle with in your own heart, or maybe previous times in your life when you've, you've kind of been to that critical place to address some things, but you've just chosen to take some kind of shortcut. And some of those shortcuts are actually like promoted by the church. So what are some of those shortcuts or what, what comes to mind when I ask that question? Yeah, Randy? Mm-hmm. Okay. So sometimes maybe we hear a message that gets kind of massaged, that kind of lessens the blow a little bit. Um, so they think maybe we can kind of swallow it or whatever, instead of like really hitting with maybe a real hard truth that we really need to hear that's really going to attack whatever that thing in is us that's broken, okay? What else? What are some other shortcuts you all have taken? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I'll get back to you real quick, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So it's just pain management, right? Not only for ourselves, but also for other people, right? We see ourselves struggling, and we just want the pain to stop. So... We just do whatever has to happen in order for that pain to not be there anymore. So you can fill in the blank of what that would be. Or we see other people around us struggling, and instead of just kind of walking with them through whatever that process might be, we just rescue them from the pain, and they never get around to dealing with the why. Right? Yes. Yeah, we just mask the issue. We don't go deeper to find out what's causing it. Yes, Britton. Okay. We downplay how big of an issue it is, and some of it's because of our own over-evaluation of ourselves, our ability to handle things. Yeah. Anybody else? That was good. Yeah, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of going to places with a community of faith who might ask us some questions that would make us uncomfortable, maybe because of their own life experience or things they've been through, or just their greater knowledge of how to navigate those things, we just, we just think, you know what, I'm just going to handle this on my own. And if you're like me, I tend to be really easy on myself. And so I don't ask myself sometimes the hard questions I really need to deal with, or we tend, we, the opposite can also be true, we tend to be overly difficult on ourselves, right, to where we don't feel like there's any hope um, that anything can change. So those are great answers. I need to, need to move on. But you guys are tracking with me, right, about some of the shortcuts, these quick fixes. And sometimes in church over years, depending on your background, you know, it's been a lot of just, well, you just need to do this, this, or this. You know, it's a formula. You know, do this and you'll change and you'll, you'll, you won't do those things anymore. Scripture memory, go to Bible study, fill in the blank of whatever it is, okay? 
So if we believe, you know, one kind of narrative or people that are kind of like overly hard on themselves, so they, their narrative is, you know, I'm damaged goods, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, um, I start to sound like Stuart Smalley, right? Um, I can't kick things, I can't kick my anger issues, my lack of forgiveness, my whatever, okay? Other people, it's the exact opposite, okay? And I'm one of those people where it's, I don't, I'm not overly difficult on myself, I'm, I'm not hard enough on myself, right? I think more of myself than I should. So for me, it's my pride. I think I'm better than other people. I, I judge and look down on, on other folks. I'm critical, I'm demanding of, of people. So whatever that unhealthy narrative is for you, in order to repent and change, we have to identify the lies within our thought processes that we're believing. And we have to replace those things with scriptural truth. So one way that this can really be practically laid out, folks, in community is, you know, in my small groups now with guys and we're talking about our lives and kind of what's broken and where we're kind of on a path that we know we shouldn't be on. One question I've gotten used to asking now is, well, what, what is the lie you're believing when you're saying that or thinking that or doing that? What's the lie? And really getting down to like, at the core, what is the lie in here that's causing me to act, think, speak in a way that's broken? What's the lie you're believing? And we help one another kind of identify that. And then we help one another decide, you know, and kind of dig into the word, okay, what's the scriptural truth that would combat that lie? And we have to replace it with a new thought pattern, a new idea um, that's gonna help us there. Okay, If we aren't willing to do that hard work of introspection and healing, we're going to find it really hard to consistently stay on the trusting God path. It's going to be darn near impossible. And here's another reason why it gets really difficult is because sometimes we live under this false illusion that if I just get connected with the right group of people, so if I just find the right church or the right small group or friendship circle or whatever, then, then I'm going to get better. But the problem is, is that the people in the room of grace are broken people too. <laughs> it's not like they're, they're perfect. Like all of us, you know, and people in Wellspring, like, right, we're all being transformed, and that is a lifelong process. And in my 13 or 14 years of pastoring here, I've hurt people. I've said things I shouldn't have said and, and acted and treated people in ways I, I shouldn't have treated them. It's just, I'm human. I'm learning, Right? And if we don't understand and recognize our wounds and the triggers associated with them, as soon as we get hurt, even at church, we'll go right back to self-protecting and mask-wearing and lashing back out in unhealthy ways or isolating, escaping, whatever coping patterns we've come up with over time. Those things will happen here too. So this is why... It's so important for us as a church community to operate in healthy ways, okay? And part of that I already talked about earlier. A big piece of this is, is talking with people about the better next, right? Of Where you can be if you hang in here and do this hard work. What's on the other side of this, right? Especially, man, marriage counseling, people come into me and the marriage is falling apart and all they can see is that this isn't going to work <laughs> and they can't see the hope on the other side, because listen, God's nature and character is to redeem and restore. 
and to heal. That's who he is. And so if we lean in to that process with him, that is what he's going to do. He's going to take you to that place of healing and restoration if you cooperate with him. Okay, so I have to remind people that that's where this is heading. That's where he's going to be leading you, <laughs> right? In order for it to not go there, you're going to have to like let go of his hand and run off in the woods somewhere, right? Because that's where he's going to take you. So as a community, we have that opportunity to call out the goodness we see in one another to remind people of who we are in Christ, that you are righteous, that you are a son and daughter of the king, that you are a chosen person, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, there's, there's lots of promises about who you are in Christ. What if repentance wasn't a promise from you to God? God, I'm going to be better. <laughs> I can do this. But a gift from God to you. And here's how repentance truly works, folks, is that God is going to change the way you think and operate. It's going to be his work in you. The Holy Spirit, right, is in you. And Jesus, when he was talking to those disciples and promising about this Holy Spirit that was going to come, he said the Holy Spirit's job, folks, is going to be to correct you and to teach you and to remind you of things that are true and to transform you. The Spirit is called the advocate, okay? And you think about in, in a court setting, he's, he's advocating on your behalf. Scripture tells us that he's going before the Father, interceding for you moment by moment. He knows you. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where you're believing a lie. What needs to be transformed in you to be healthy and to live in grace? He knows those things. It's his work that he's doing in you, not your decision to stop being bad and start being good. <laughs> Repentance begins when we surrender and when we cry out, help. Not when we turn in our own strength. I came across a great quote this week about repentance. It said this. It said, repentance isn't doing something about my sin. It's admitting I can't do anything about my sin. Remember, Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? My power is made perfect in your weakness. So we've talked about these paths lead to two rooms, right? The pleasing God path leads to the room of good intentions, okay? The door, uh, the word above the doorknob to the room of good intentions is self-effort. And we've talked about this trusting God path which leads to the room of grace. And last week we talked about the word written above the doorknob to the room of grace is humility, and we talked about the implications of that a lot last week. But guys, those are two very different mindsets. Very different. As a father with young adult children now, okay, my, my three oldest are, are 24, 21, and 19. Anytime they come to me in humility and say, can you help me, Dad? Whew, man, what a great day that is, Right? It does not happen very often. <laughs> but when it does, it's like, oh man, they're in a teachable and humble place. And that's super exciting. And to be honest, like I wrote that kind of tongue in cheek because, you know, 
But to be honest, that's how I am with God. That's how I am. (laughs) Most of the time, especially when I was younger, I just tried to figure life out. I rarely came to God and said, help me (laughs) in humility, right? I'm like, I got this. But that's the posture that God longs to see from us. It's just this posture of surrender and just be like, help me, man. (laughs) I am so stuck on this pattern and this way of operating. I need help to get over here to a new way. So we not only need to cry out for help and surrender to God, but we also need to, to cry out for help and surrender to our faith community. Right? Maybe you guys remember this verse, James 5.16. It says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why is that such a necessary and critical way of living as a follower of Christ? Why is that necessary and critical? Stace? Yeah, she said there's, not much, nothing, there's, there's nothing more humbling than saying out loud to another person, like, I'm struggling and I can't get victory here. It's one thing for me in the privacy of my own room to write that in my prayer journal. <laughs> it's another thing to look somebody else in the eye and say, man, I need help. I'm struggling here. Yeah. Yeah. So bringing things into the light. We talked about that last week. Living in the light, right? Gets it out of the darkness. Somebody else knows about it. And it it takes some of the power of the enemy's, you know, darkness and the ways that he wants to keep us enchained and enslaved to things by bringing things out into the light. Anything else you've experienced maybe even as you've confessed? I'm sorry. Yeah, Justin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And why? Why is it one of God's main ways of doing that in our present age? Yeah, right. So great. Two points he made there that were awesome, right? You do those things so that you may be healed, right? So a lot of us want to be healed, but it requires confession to another person, right? That's part of the process. Phil talked about trusting the process, right? Well, this is kind of God's plan for how this happens, okay? And one of the beautiful things is, too, is because, you know, Ben brings his sin to me, right? I'm an ambassador of Christ, right? Jesus is not physically here today to talk to Ben and look him in the eye, but he's filled me with him, and he's given me the power to speak truth into his heart, 
to say, yeah, man, even though that's what you're dealing with now, that doesn't define you. That's not who you are. That's not who you have to continue to be. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're a new creation. You've been given a new heart, a new mind. You don't have to continue to live like that, right? And we can speak those powerful words, those healing words into the hearts of our brothers and sisters and not load them down with just condemnation and more steps to get things right and just all the stupid things we said for years, right? Got to get out of that narrative. And guys, the last thing that I, I want to um, share with you today, <laughs> which I think is a critical step to our healing and being able to stay in the room of grace, is that we have to deal with unforgiveness in our hearts. We have to deal with that. Unforgiveness will keep us stuck. It'll hinder us from, from really true repentance and, and transformative change of heart that we're looking for. So those folks that we talked about, sometimes for some of us, it may have been our parents, or may have been friends or whatever. We've all got wounds, right? And, and because of those, those have left us with some triggers and some unhealthy ways of handling life. We need to release those people. And forgiveness is a choice. And it, it relinquishes our perceived right to be the judge of other people. And it puts the judgment into the right hands, which is God, and his ability to see things in, in, a, in a perfect way. So one of those things we do is we have to deal with unforgiveness in our hearts. The, the unforgiveness will keep you stuck. You will not be able to move forward. The second thing we have to do is we have to forgive ourselves. And I've had that conversation with other folks too, that like they just can't forgive themselves. And that's honestly like a whole different sermon that maybe I need to give another day. But let me just translate it as, as simply as I can, guys. In effect, we have to take the grace won for us and the cross by Christ, and we have to extend it to other people. So we have to think, okay, what was that grace given to me? How was it given to me? It was given to me as a gift, undeserved, unmerited, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were powerless, God offered us forgiveness and grace. We'd done nothing to earn that, but we receive it. And Lord, don't we want to receive it? Oh my gosh, how awesome is it that it's not based on my merit, but then in relationships with folks maybe that even have hurt us in life, we want them to, you know, go down this checklist that we decide before we'll extend that grace to them. Well, that person needs to apologize to me, and they need to do this and this, and I'm not doing that until they take responsibility for this and whatever. God doesn't treat us that way. He didn't ask us to do that before he poured his grace out on us. We have to be a conduit of that grace <laughs> to those around us. If we don't do that, we'll, we'll, we'll stay stuck. And you can either believe me or you can keep on going trying how you're doing it. <laughs> either way. Choosing to forgive doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle anymore. But the voice you begin to hear won't be one of condemnation, but one that acknowledges that, hey, I know you still got a long way to go, but I'm in this with you, 
right? God is, is with us, committed to my change process. And those people that have hurt us in the past or are hurting us now in the present, guys, they are just broken people just like us. And they are equally deserving of the grace that we love to receive from God as well. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews who have um, embraced his teaching. So they're kind of new believers. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All right? Guys, that is what we are longing for. Right? Me as a pastor, our, our board, our staff here, we want you to be set free. Set free from unforgiveness, set free from a performance-based gospel of self-effort that's just defeating, set free from an inaccurate and flawed picture of what repentance really is. <laughs> All those things. Set free from a, a limited view of community, a limited understanding of the power that you have as a follower of Christ to speak life-giving truth into your brothers and sisters around you. Whatever that limitation is, we want you to be free of those things. And, and guys, I think we're making progress, okay? So I want you to be encouraged. I, I talk throughout the week, some of my staff and just other leaders in our church who are small group leaders. A lot of you guys are in. A lot of folks in small groups now are just processing the sermon series, and people are getting it. They're leaning in. There's probably more people in counseling in Wellspring than have ever been in counseling, right, um, in, our, in our community, Okay, people are, are wrestling with the wise. They're trying to get down to the deeper things, guys. And I just want to applaud you for that. Because remember back in January when I gave my kind of wellspring state of the union, we talked about our word for the year was going to be what? Courage. If you were just like, huh? <laughs> I'm so disappointed. You don't hang on every word from my mouth. Okay. Courage. Courage. Guys, it's not easy to look at yourself in the mirror. You know, for me to say, m most of my youth, I used people. That is not easy to come to terms with, <laughs> right? There's a broken sadness that comes from that. My inability to connect well with others because I basically have just used people in my life. Because of my wounds, I'm not saying that I came by that naturally, right? But it's still hard. Be courageous to, to look at yourself in the mirror and own some of your junk because it's not, it doesn't define who you are. It's just kind of the baggage that God's going to work with you, right? God's with us looking at our pile, saying, I got it, right? He's not surprised by any of that. We're getting there. Guys, we're learning a new language called grace, this kingdom language, a shared language that we have with one another that keeps us on the trusting God path, language that has power and love and hope. And guys, if you guys have ever learned a new language, right? Like I took French in high school, right? Besides for knowing a bunch of French songs, I couldn't put one sentence together in French, okay? Because what did I do? I went to class and I listened to French for an hour and then I didn't think about French any other time, all right? So I didn't learn French. 
right? So if we're going to talk about learning a new language of grace, of this new path of trusting God and all that comes with that, one hour on Sunday morning is not going to do it, right? The best way to learn a foreign language is what? Be immersed in a culture where that's the only language spoken. So your guys' job, if true change is going to happen, is to get yourself around other people that speak the language of grace and trusting God and begin to hear the different way in which they approach their Christian journey. Find those people. Begin to talk like them. It's gonna, you're going to make some mistakes, right? When you're trying to learn a new language, you're going to say something everybody's going to laugh around you, right? But they're going to be patient. Why? Because they're glad you're trying, right? You go into a foreign country and, and you actually try to speak their language, they're pretty gracious most of the time because they're like, hey, this person's learning, right? But if you're just stuck in this, I'm only going to speak this language, then yeah, it's going to be difficult. But it begins with being healed. God wants to hear our pain. Guys, you have to remember this. Psalm 103, it talks about our Father is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. That's who he is. Humbly come to him today. Receive his gift of repentance, of metanoia, a transformative change of the heart. Guys, lean into community. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you might be healed. This is the true gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful. I'm so thankful for um, just Kelsey's word today. Uh, As Jesus spoke with his disciples that were getting ready to go through a process, a very painful process of suffering that they didn't even know was coming. And he was trying to prepare them. And he was saying, God, there's something hopeful on the other side. He was painting a picture of what life could look like on the other side of of this very gruesome death and this very powerful resurrection. There's a life on the other side of this that is free and full And not only did he promise them that, but he also said, I'm going to give you a comforter, an advocate that's going to be in you, that's going to help you live into that new reality. This is not something we have to do on our own, is to figure out how to to live into the trusting God path. We have an advocate in us that wants us to be there, (laughs) that's helping us, help us to lean into that and to trust that and to believe that all of those things are there resources for us but but it, it, it takes God it takes us being willing to go deep and some of us aren't used to doing that we like to just kind of keep things on the surface and and just kind of brush over our wounds and our pain and it just keeps us stuck and settling for something less than what you have for us give us the courage to gather around some trusted people who speak this new language of grace to actually begin to really, really heal and deal with some stuff so that we can be sources of grace for others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?